Uh, Again, welcome to those who are listening online. Wherever you might be, I'm grateful that you can join us. Uh, What unique times these are, uh, for sure. This morning, I want you to think about giving thanks when we are feeling dry. Giving thanks when we feel we are dry. Giving thanks when we feel we are in a desert. So what do we typically give thanks for? I think the the typical, the stereotypical, I thank God for his provisions. I thank God for how he's provided for me. I thank God for my health. If I have health, God, thank you for that. And we say, God, I thank you for my family. These are the three that I think we typically, God, thank you for this. But can we be honest? When we get to the nitty-gritty, I think we really care about much more than this. Our hearts care for so much more than God's provision, our health, and our family. You see, we actually believe that God, those three things there, you just owe me. You're just... You just are supposed, that just is supposed to come natural. You're just supposed to provide for me. And if you don't provide for me, the government will, right? That's just, that's just a given. Or my health, I'm just supposed to have good health. Or if I get sick, it's not supposed to be that sick. And my family, I know that every family has interesting dynamics, but hopefully things in my family are going good enough. We, we just kind of think that this is God. This, those are the givens. So what are we really thankful for? In America, we are really thankful for my new car. That's what I give thanks for. Uh, I really actually give thanks for the promotion I got at work because with that, it was a good promotion and I'm getting more money. That's what I'm thankful for. Or I am thankful for the elaborate vacation I was able to take this last year. You see, I think when we are really honest with ourselves, we give thanks for a lot of other things. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for these things too, if they ever happen. These are things that I like as well. I'm not going to lie. But what if I say 2020 was the worst year of my life? Hypothetically speaking. (laughs) What if I say, man, 2020 has been crazy. I mean, what if I say there was a global pandemic? What if I say our economy was shut down started to build back up and is being shut down again? What if I say the penalty for gathering with people at Thanksgiving greater than six is a hefty fine of $1,250 and 30 days in jail? I mean, just what if I were to say that? Why would I give thanks 
Why would you give thanks today? Why would you give thanks today? Hear me out. We are in a desert. And I am not here to pretend the desert does not exist. We are in a desert. And I'm also here to remind us that we are not the first to find ourselves in a desert. I find comfort in speaking with people who are significantly older than me. Why? Because they have experienced so much more of life than I have. And they have stories to tell about deserts that they have been through as well. Whether it was war or the Great Depression, it serves as a reminder, Nate, I've been in the desert before. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. We're going to make it through this desert. But also I'm reminded of just the honesty that we can have with ourselves that, yes, I am in a desert. We are in a desert. This is a hard time. In the passage that we are looking at today, David finds himself in a desert. I mean, literally in a desert. He's in a desert. And when I think about the desert that he was in, it helps me understand in a greater way the Psalms that he wrote. So many of the Psalms that he wrote I believe stemmed from this time in the desert being pursued by his enemies. God, what are you going to do with my enemies? How come my enemies are surrounding me? God, save me from my enemies. God, I'm in a dry and weary land. God, I need your help. God, I look to you. So, so many of his psalms, I believe, stem from his time in the desert. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. We continue to work our way through, and this is not a traditional Thanksgiving message, um, but I was thinking about this Thursday and and. You know, this attitude of thanks, thankfulness that, that we can still have. And I was thinking about David and what he was confronted with. And I think that his situation can speak to us this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 23, if you're quick on this, you're thinking, well, we were in chapter 18 last time, so what happened in 19, 20, 21, and 22? Well, in short, Saul tried to kill David again. That happened. 
And then Saul got really mad and he actually killed 85 priests. That's the kind of guy that Saul was. Okay? So those are the events that happened between uh, chapters 19 to 22. And now I want us just to pick up in uh, verse 7. 1 Samuel 23, verse 7. It says this, Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah, and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go to Kilah to besiege David and his men. Just stop there briefly. We, we read later that Saul's men um, amounts to 3,000. 3,000 men. David's men, it's, we're not told right here, but we're going to see it a bit later here. We're told that, Saul, or that David's men are 600. So David is clearly outnumbered, isn't he? I mean, the ratio is one to five. You know, for every man that David has, Saul has five more. Da- David is greatly outnumbered. Do you notice that in this passage, Saul thinks that he has God's blessing, basically? Oh, look, I learned that David is in Kila, this, this village, this town, and they have a wall around it. There's gates. Perfect. This is God's blessing on Saul's thinking on my life. I can go take this guy out. We can, we can finally go kill him. Saul has been wanting to kill David all along. He's thinking, I can go and I, I can do this. I find it interesting that ungodly people can believe the Lord is speaking to them. Ungodly people can believe that the Lord is leading them. And that's the case with Saul. Saul believes that God is leading him to go take out David. But remember, David is the Lord's anointed. He's the one that God has chosen to be the king. There's times where I've heard from people, well, the Lord is leading me to do this, to do such and such. And I think sometimes... I don't know about that. I don't think so. I don't know what voice you're hearing there. I don't think that's the Lord. But there is this, this, yes, the Lord is doing this. The Lord is leading me. And Saul had this sense of, yes, the Lord is leading me. Let's go take him out. Let's do this. I've asked this question before, and I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but here we go again. I've asked this question before. How do we know? When the Lord is leading us, it's hard to say. I, I, this is a hard question to answer, I believe. But I believe that for us to know when the Lord is leading us, we must know that we are grounded in Scripture. We must recognize our own bias. Do you get what I'm saying there? 
that I have a certain way that I want this to play out. And I got to at least be honest with myself that my emotion is wanting this result. So I better own up to that. I need to seek counsel from godly people. Like, here's how I see this. Could you correct me if I'm wrong? Do you see this differently? And then sometimes we still are a little bit uncertain. Sometimes we're like, I still don't fully know. And in those times, I trust that we allow time for the Spirit of God to continue speaking to us. I have noticed that when the Spirit of God speaks to me, he oftentimes follows it up with confirmation. Confirmation that I need. Thank you, Lord. I needed that. Because I was really trying to figure out if this is what I should do, and I needed that confirmation. And the Lord oftentimes, when it is his voice, he follows it up with confirmation. Sometimes multiple times. Multiple pieces of confirmation. Let's read on. Look at verses 9 through 13. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him again, he said to uh, Abiatar, I believe is how he pronounces this, the priest, bring an ephod. David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to to come to Kila and destroy the town on account of me. Well, the citizens of Kila surrender to surrender me to him, to Saul. Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Kila surrender me And my man to Saul. And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600, now we know the number, in number left Kila and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kila, he did not go there. Okay, David is in Kila. He hears that Saul is going to come after him, and he seeks the Lord. Isn't this amazing that David has this, basically this conversation with God? God, I I want to know. God, is Saul really going to come? The man who's been trying to kill me, is he really going to come and find me in Kila? And the Lord, what did he say? He will. It's going to happen. Okay, well, then I would like to know, I'm in this this town, and I would like to know how the people of Kyla are going to respond. Are they going to just simply hand me over? Or are they going to go to my defense? Are they going to hand me over? They will. Okay. Well, then in that case, David is, I, I want to move on. I'm going to move on. I need to move on. But imagine that you're David. Where do you move on to? Where do you go? 
Where do I go? I mean, I can't go back home. I can't go back to the palace. I, I am being hunted. David turns into this fugitive, basically. He, he's on the run. Where do I go? Well, let's, let's look at where David goes. Verse 14, David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Where did David go? David went to the desert. David put himself and his men in the desert. I'm going to go to the desert. I'm going to camp out in the desert. He and his 600 men are basically in hiding from Saul. And Saul continued to pursue him. And yet it says that that, um, God did not give David into his hands. Saul continued to pursue David. But God would not let Saul find David. David went to the desert. Do you ever feel you are in the desert? Do you feel you are in the desert today? Again, I feel like we're all in the desert right now. These are hard times. No matter how we view this, these are just hard times. We're in the desert. David was in the desert. How do you do when you are in a desert? As, as we were, just this morning, as we were praising the Lord, I was thinking, this is hard. This is hard as your pastor trying to know the words to even share with you. I mean, what words? Eight months, Lord. Eight months, we're still doing this. You know, in in month one, it was kind of like, okay, let's remain strong. Let's remember where our hope is. And And I was like, Lord, what more is there to be said? Lord, you're in control. I know this is true. But, I mean, do I just keep on saying this? And I, I just almost felt like in some ways the Lord was saying, I know you're still here. But what has changed? I haven't changed. I am still the same. And if we are still having to learn the same lessons over and over again after eight months, then perhaps so be it. May, may we learn those lessons. Lord, may I continue to look to you. How do you do when you're in the desert? How well do you do? How well do you do when you are in a desert? Read on verse 15. 15 and 16, it says that while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph. Don't you love these names? (laughs) He, David, learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And my parentheses, again, Again, verse 16, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him catch this, find strength in God. Stop there. 
David learns that Saul is again after his life, wanting to come take him out. And what does Jonathan do? Jonathan goes and wants to find David in the desert. Goes and finds David in the desert. And when he is in the desert with his buddy, David, he helps David find his strength in the Lord. Can you imagine that conversation? These two friends, these two close friends, I just imagine them just embracing each other and and perhaps probably just weeping. I am so sorry that my father is after you again. But there's this, I want you, David, to find your strength in the Lord. David, I'm going to take you back to what you already know. I'm going to remind you to find your strength in the Lord, David. David, you find your strength in the Lord. Do you have a Jonathan? Do you have a Jonathan in your life? Guess what? I'm here to tell you that you do. I am here to tell you that you do. Why? Because you're here. Because you are here this morning. And if you're in a different location, you are here. You have a Jonathan. You have a Jonathan who is here to speak to you. To say, find your strength in the Lord today. You know where your strength is is found. It's in the Lord. It's not in what is going on. Find your strength in the Lord. It is not in, perhaps, the disunity of a family right now. I can only imagine right now all that families are trying to figure out. How do we respond to this? This mandate. What do we do? Find your strength in the Lord. When we get sick, what happens? Find your strength in the Lord. Is there conflict? Find your strength in the Lord. Is my job on the line? Do I not have a job right now? Find your strength in the Lord. We need to be reminded, as as Jonathan reminded David, where our strength is found. And how, how did Jonathan... Help David find his strength in the Lord. Let's read on because the answer is here. Verse 17, he said, Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. 
Like the guy who is trying to kill you, he already knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. Stop there. How does, how does Jonathan help David find his strength in the Lord? He reminds him of the promise of God. He reminds him of what God has already declared over David through Samuel. You are going to be the king. Sometimes we just need a... I'm not trying to belittle the voice of God. I hold the voice of God high. His voice matters above all. But sometimes we need the human voice to just simply... Let us know. Like Jonathan did, David, I'm telling you, you're going to be the king. And you know it. You've heard it. I'm here just just to tell you, you're going to be the king. And and Jonathan says, and I'm going to be second. The, The words of Jonathan, who should have been first, and I will be second. And guess what? My dad already knows this. Yes, he is pursuing you, but God has chosen you. You will be the king. David needed those words. He needed to be reminded of what he already knew. When we are in the desert, we need to be reminded of what we already know. Let's read on. Verse 19, the Ziphites, again, don't you love these names? (laughs) The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Well, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hekilah, south of Jeshimon? Now, O king, come down, and whenever it pleases you, do so. And we will be responsible for handing him over to the king. Um, I'm going to continue reading, but before I do, just, just note that David's focus, he's getting refocused here. And guess what happens? His circumstances don't change. I want you to just notice that, okay? His circumstances do not change. They actually intensify. They get worse. So these guys are ready to gang up on David and hand him over to Saul. Verse 21, Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Isn't it great how ungodly people can act so godly sometimes? Oh, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. Verse 22, Go and make further preparation. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him. They, will t- they tell me he is very crafty. Oh, please, Saul. You know this guy. You know this. Don't pretend. Verse 23, find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. 
So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Mayon, in the uh, Arabah, south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began to search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off in pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamakalah. Something like that. (laughs) And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. I looked at the pronunciation last night, and I'm forgetting right now exactly how that one goes. But you get the idea. Saul, intent to take out David, goes after him. And what happens? David's men are on one side of the mountain. In the northwest, we, when we hear mountain, we think Mount Hood, Mount Jefferson, Mount Rainier, etc. Okay, let's, let's downsize that because of the area. Okay, so this, 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 maybe in our terminology, this hill... David's men are on one side and Saul's men are on the other side and Saul's men are getting really close and they're closing in on David's men. And it's not looking good for David. And what happens? God sends a messenger. God sends a messenger at just the right time. Uh, Saul... Our land back home is being raided. you got to get over here. This is crazy. This, this is just crazy. Did, did God provide the Philistines? Evil, ungodly army? This is an interesting one here, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, God is not the author of evil. But God is able to take that which is meant for evil and turn it for good. All I know is that David is the anointed, God's anointed. David was as safe as could be, though he did not feel safe. Though his whole life felt crazy and in turmoil. He was safe because he was safe in the hands of the Father. And God was able to use whatever was necessary to pull Saul away. And I wonder if the only thing that would pull Saul away was the Philistines are on us. 
I, I don't know, but I know that's what it was that pulled Saul away. And David was rescued. Because God, I believe, saw fit for a messenger to come at just the right time and remove Saul. What a passage. We're going we're gonna to continue to look at this passage next week because there's more in the desert here that, that we're going to look at. But I, I ask you in closing this morning, again, are you in a desert? Are you in a desert right now? God faithfully saw David through the desert. And God is able to faithfully see us through the desert. Do you feel that with all that is going on in our world, our nation, our state, that we are in the desert? Like I asked you at the beginning, what do I have to give thanks for? When I feel I am in the desert, what do I have to say, God, I thank you for this? When I'm in the desert, how do I give thanks? This morning, I suggest two things that are based on this passage of Scripture alone, meaning I think there is more we can give thanks for. But what do we say, God, I thank you for this when I feel like, like David, I'm in a desert. And by the way, our situation is not nearly as bad as David's situation was. What do I give thanks for? Two things. I am thankful for people who point me back to the strength of God. I am thankful for brothers and sisters who point me back to the strength of God. And again, I tell you, you have that. Don't, don't start thinking, oh, woe is me, I don't have that. No, because you're here, you have that. I'm not trying to insinuate that I am the person that has to be that. I might be that. But you might have another brother or sister right here in this room or wherever you're listening who is able to draw you back to the strength of God. You have that. Do you recognize that? We have the body of Christ, the family of God. Brothers and sisters who are able to draw us back to the strength of God. This is why we need each other. We need one another. Because when we are left on our own, our minds are powerful, extremely powerful. And our minds can get wrapped up in all sorts of other things. We get carried away with what's on the news. 
we begin to live in fear, and we need the voice of others to help us reason well. We need it. Do you have your Jonathan? Do you recognize who your Jonathan is? The second thing I think that we have to give thanks for this week here is that we have a God who sends a messenger. We have a God who sends a messenger at just the right time. Oftentimes at the last minute. You know, when the army troop is closing in and you feel like, I don't know what I'm going to do. God sent a messenger in that time. That's our God. That's our God. That's your God. That's my God. That is our God, collective. He is our God. He is the one who is able to send his messenger, whatever that messenger might be. And though it feels like, yes, it is at the last second, God sends his messenger. Why? Because we cannot mess with his plan. We can't mess with it. We are safe. In the palm of the Father's hand. And that's where you're at. Does not lead us to act foolishly. No, God has given us a head to use. Last night... In, in learning some information, as, as was shared with you by email and, and on Facebook, I, I, had, I had to reach out to our elders. Guys, we, we ha- here's, here's what we are confronted with, and we, we need to think about this. How do we respond? I am not suggesting that we just throw reason out and say, well, let's just do whatever. No. And we were, we were working together and we bring various perspectives, but we are working together to try to figure out how we respond. But I also rest ultimately beyond me using the best brain that God has given me, however good that is. I also rest in, Lord, at the end of the day, I'm safest here in the palm of your hand. That's where I'm at. David was there. You're there. And God is the God who sends his messenger. I'm thankful for that. David was not thankful for the chase. I don't think David was thankful for the chase. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that David was Oh, Lord, thank you that Saul wants to kill me. Thank you that he's tried to kill me a number of times already. And thank you that I'm out here in this desert. I don't think David was thankful for that. But I think that David was thankful for the provision of God. We see that in the Psalms. God, thank you. His, His eyes kept on going back. Though the world is crashing down, David would end his psalms, God, my hope is in you. I'm thankful for the Jonathan, and I'm thankful for a God who sends his messenger. May this 
give you a spirit of thanksgiving this week. This week. Because I feel like we're in a desert. I feel like we're in the desert. God has not abandoned us. He is still here. His promises are still good. We still look to his promises. He will be faithful. Lord God, thank you. Sometimes the words thank you are hard. But when they're hard, I think that they, they probably cause us to wrestle with, well, what are we giving thanks for? Are, are the things that we give thanks for circumstantial? If, if they're circumstantial, then we're going to be on this roller coaster. But if our thanksgiving this week is rooted in who you are, God, then we're going to be okay. Lord God, we love you. Lord God, I pray. I pray right now for the needs of our church family, those here in person, those listening online, wherever they might be, God, I pray that you would reveal your faithfulness. Remind us of your faithfulness. Prove your faithfulness. God, may we be kept safe in the palm of your hand. God, we ask this. God, I pray for our state. Lord, these are difficult times. Extremely difficult times. God, I pray your protection over the body of Christ in the state of Oregon. I pray that justice might be evident. God, I pray for your hand over our country. God, move in a powerful way. God, I pray for healing. I pray for physical healing. God, I pray not only for physical healing. God, I'm asking for spiritual healing. We need that. God, move not only in the United States of America. God, move around the world. God, you are not dead. You still sit on the throne. You reign over all. God, you are powerful. You are supreme. You are the Almighty. We remind ourselves of that truth today, right now. God, work in ways that only you can work. God, I pray this in the mighty name, the mighty name of Jesus. There is no other name. Amen.